sermon titled, Tell Me Why. Look at your neighbor and say, why? 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 Why in the world? Sometimes I have been known to say, why in the world? You know, um, have you ever looked at somebody and said, why did you do that? <laughs> why? <laughs> somebody said it this morning. <laughs> You look at somebody and say, why did you say that? Why did you say that? Sometimes I have looked at myself and said, why did I say that? Why did I say that? You know, the why behind things, the motives are difficult to measure, aren't they? I have found even sometimes when I am trying to reflect about myself uh, and some prayerful reflection or, or examining myself, I find it difficult sometimes to even measure my own motives. I would say to us, it does us well, though, at times to prayerfully think about our motives. Motives are difficult to measure, but we need to think, why are we doing negative things? Why are we doing positive things? Are we doing them for the right reasons? Even actions can be difficult to interpret at times. We can say, why did I do that? Why did he do that? Why did she do that? What is the motive? What is the motivating factor? But I do think it's a good idea for us from time to time to step back and examine and ask ourselves, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why do I feel this way? I think it's very healthy as Christians. Paul taught us to examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. And I think part of that examination, part of our personal Holiness, part of our personal sanctification is to prayerfully look at things. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I taking on this attitude about whatever it might be? Prayerful examination is helpful. Prayerful examination is biblical. Prayerful self-examination becomes even more helpful to us when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us in that process. I love the Holy Spirit. Do you love the Holy Spirit? And the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit for many different reasons, but one of the reasons is for him to guide us into all truth and to reprove us in terms of correcting us when there are things in our lives that shouldn't be. Have you ever told somebody you can't have it both ways? Can I tell us as a Pentecostal church, we can't have the Holy Spirit and just want to have the feeling and the emotion and the excitement, come on now, without having the Holy Spirit who examines us and convicts us and stirs us and guides us. Amen? See, there's a healthy balance there, isn't it there? Very healthy balance there. So prayerful self-examination is very helpful when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us. But um, uh, prayerful self-examination is also very helpful when we combine it with the Word of God. You see, God has given us such a gift when it comes to his word. His word is, as the psalmist said, a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. And I will hide his word in my heart that I might not, what, sin against God. And God's word will show us how to live. God's word will guide us. God's word is living. It's not just an encyclopedia. It's not just like reading an Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, I don't think anybody does that anymore, do they? But you go online. So it's not just reading, like reading resources online. But when we read the word of God, it is God's living word that will shape our lives, guide our thinking, renew our mind. 
So today we see a man who I really question his motives and I really wonder what was his motivating factor. It, it certainly wasn't good. A man that we talked about last week, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter three, where we are today, he builds this 90 feet high and nine feet wide gold statue of none other than himself. How humble was he? <laughs> it was bad enough he built the statue and he wanted people to bow down and worship it, but he built the statue of himself and he plated it all in gold. It's difficult for me to understand why he would do that for many reasons. It's difficult to understand the motivation behind such a thing, the ego, the arrogance, the self-importance behind such a thing, but it's especially hard for me to understand because remember in last chapter, last chapter, chapter two, God had revealed to this man in a dream one of the most prophetic views of the history that was to come. He had shown him that he was the head of gold in that dream's statue and that his kingdom would be replaced by another. And God had shown him all these sovereign things and proved to himself that he truly was the one and only God. Would you not have thought that that would have caused Nebuchadnezzar to make a change in his heart? And as we left chapter two, it really did appear that maybe the man was on his way to making a change in his heart and in his life. And can I pause right here and pause and say to us, I wonder in our world today, has God himself been trying to get the attention of the world and especially even the church during these times, these last year and a half, year and eight months, and have we made any changes? Have we really, really grabbed a hold of God like we ought to? Pastor Greg, you're a barrel of fun today. <laughs> you know, in the peak of the pandemic, the doors were closed and we were online and people were watching by the hundreds of people and, the, and people couldn't go out. They were on lockdown and God had a captive audience and the word of God was going out like never before, not just from this church, but from churches all over the area, all over the country. And God had people's attention and didn't we think, oh, maybe, just maybe revival will come from this. Maybe, just maybe, people will turn back to God and rearrange their lives and put God and God's house first again. Did it happen? Or as we came out of lockdown, were we just so glad to get back out and make a dollar and just be glad to get out and have some more fun? And did anything stir our hearts as a society? Am I preaching all right this morning? God help us. God is trying to get our attention, even within the church world, even within us. He wants our attention. He tried desperately throughout the whole book of Daniel. We're gonna see where he tried so hard to get the attention of this man, Nebuchadnezzar, but he couldn't because Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't let him. And I wanna tell us this morning, we're, we are all created with a free will. God has given us a free will. We make our own decisions. God will not force you or I to serve him because that wouldn't be serving him at all, would it? God will not force you and I to worship him because that would not be worshiping him 
at all. He has given us a free will to make our own decisions, but he draws us through his loving, tender mercies and says, I want to lead you in the path of righteousness and lead you to everlasting life. Amen. But Nebuchadnezzar was not having any of it. He was, he would, God would get his attention and he would head the right way, but his heart would never fully change. And I ask us this morning, have we let God fully change our Heart. Let me ask you a question. Why was his heart compromised? That's my second point this morning. Why was his heart compromised? You see, in the first part, the first part of the first verse, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. You remember that head of gold in his last dream represented him and his kingdom. I don't know if this was some kind of an attempt by Nebuchadnezzar of self-preservation I don't know if he thought that he had become so exalted and so powerful that he, by his own doings, could create a statue and have all the leaders of the known world come and bow to it, that somehow he could stop what the Almighty God had already said was going to happen to him and his kingdom. I tend to think that's what it was. I tend to think that he thought he was invincible and that he could live life his own way I want to tell us this morning, when we fall into the trap of rebellion, when we fall into the trap of saying, I can live my life my own way and I can avoid the consequences that God has put in place, we fool ourselves. Yes, we, we fool ourselves. It was self-preservation. It was living for himself. Can I tell us about that when I say he was living for himself? We are happier when we are truly living for God and serving others. That's when we're the happiest. That's when we're the happiest. But he was living for himself. He was full of pride. What does the Bible say about pride? Pride comes before a, a fall, a fall. And I think it's possible even as Christians sometimes to let pride swell up in us and, well, my goodness, I've served God for this many years and I know what I'm doing. How dare they tell you? We can get prideful, can't we? But pride isn't good. Pride comes before a fall. He said, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that he can exalt you in due season and lift us up. He was full of arrogance. He was unchanged, unregenerated, if I could use a New Testament theological term. And I ask us this morning, has God tried to get my attention? Has God tried to get your attention? I ask us this morning, is our heart, our hearts compromised? Is your heart compromised in any way? If so, let's get it fixed this morning through the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Or is my heart committed? I want my heart to be committed. I didn't start my journey as my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't start that to quit. I didn't start that to compromise. I didn't start to sit down and, and just let the world go by. But my heart is committed to serving the Lord. If you feel like you're down this morning, let him lift you up and say, I'm determined to serve the Lord. I'm committed. You see, there were three Hebrew men that we see in this chapter I'm focusing on Nebuchadnezzar and I'm focusing on some other parts this morning, but there's a lot in this chapter about these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's usually who we preach about when we get in chapter three, isn't it? 
That's usually who we talk about. Well, let's talk about them for just a few moments since you brought them up. Why did they refuse to compromise? I asked the question about Nebuchadnezzar, why was his heart compromised? But the the next question is, why did they, they meaning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why did they refuse to compromise? When Nebuchadnezzar called all the leaders from the greatest to the smallest and had them to come and had them stand before this big idol, this big statue of gold of himself and said, we're gonna play, the whole orchestra is gonna play. And when that orchestra plays, you're gonna bow down and you're gonna worship. I could stop right there and preach a little bit about our world today. I feel like the the winds of compromise have tried to blow in every level of our society. I feel that the winds of compromise have tried to creep in to the medical profession. I feel that the winds of compromise have tried to creep into the public school system. I feel that the wind of compromise is blowing like a hurricane in our government. And from every level, those who are in leadership and who have influence are under pressure to compromise. And that's what it was like for three, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they played the music, and everybody bowed. And we look around us, this world, and we hear the music, if I could say it that way, and it seems that everybody around us are coalescing and are bowing to the agenda of this world. But can we be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Let me ask that question again. I felt something about that question. Can I ask us one more time? Maybe you didn't hear it. Can we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Can we? Can we? Can we? Is our heart committed? Is our heart committed that I say, oh, yes, my job is important, but I will not compromise God's word for my job? Can we say that? That's, that's tough. Can we do that this morning? I like this friendship, but I'm not gonna compromise my relationship with the Lord God Jehovah for this friendship. Can we stand? Is our heart fixed? Do we have grit? Do we have the tenacity? Do we have the boldness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to say, I cannot compromise. He has done too much for me. He has brought me too far. And I know that if I serve him and if I am faithful, I will come out as a winner in the end. Why did they refuse to compromise? Daniel 3, 12b, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, they refused to conform to the culture around them. We're not gonna pay due regard to you. There are some things in this world. There are some agendas in this world. There are some philosophies in this world. There are some things that are being flaunted right in our faces, all over the televisions, and all throughout our educational systems that we have no business giving any regard to. They refuse to conform to the culture. They refuse to conform to the agenda of the day. They refuse to go along with the crowd just to go along 
to get along. I want to tell us this morning, we are living in a time where we are not going to be able to just go along to get along anymore. They refused to go along with what was perceived to be the majority. Boy, that'll preach right now too, doesn't it? We can watch the news, we can go here and we can go there, and it seems that living any old way seems to just be accepted anymore and that we as God's people are in the minority and we ought to just go along with it. We're outdated, we are antiquated, but I wanna declare to us this morning that we cannot compromise. We cannot compromise. They didn't compromise And they didn't have all these theological terms that I'm getting ready to tell you. You say, let me me button my coat. You're going to get theological on us, Pastor? Let me tell you what we have over in the New Testament that they didn't really have in the Old Testament. We have a lot more going for us that can help us not to compromise right now. One is we can have what is called a regeneration experience. Has anybody in the house ever been regenerated? What do you mean, pastor, regenerated? Let me say it this way, born again. You see, yes, they they were living in Old Testament times and they were holding their faith in God. But you and I are in the new covenant. You and I live in New Testament times and you and I can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we can be born again. That ought to make somebody happy this morning. Born again, changed, regenerated from the inside out. We can be regenerated, have a new life, a new nature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. Regenerated. And when I have been regenerated and when you have been regenerated, that old sin nature is not as strong as it used to be. They don't love the things we used to love. In fact, we hate the things we used to love and we love the things we used to hate. If any man be in who? Christ. Oh, I hope you have been regenerated. I hope you have experienced that born again experience. And if you have not, today is the day of salvation. Today the Holy Spirit says, come and I'll make a new creation out of you. Isn't that a beautiful thought this morning? Regeneration. And then after regeneration, we have over in the New Testament time, in the new covenant time, I'm getting all fired up. Well, I might just preach till 11 o'clock today. You say, you just say, hey, you guys have to watch the rerun. He's preached himself out. But I want to tell you, after we have been regenerated. Amen. Yes. <laughs> after we have been regenerated, our standing with him becomes as a son of God. And the theological term there is justification. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just had a lot of grit. They just had a lot of determination. They just knew God, but we can be regenerated, and then we can be in a standing of justification. What is justification? Just as if I have never sinned. Oh, this is good stuff this morning, even if I am the one preaching it. (laughs) Just as if I have never sinned. My legal standing is a son of the living God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? 
And because of that, when times of compromise come my way, I can stand up on my feet and I can say, I am not who you want me to be. I am justified with God and my standing is I belong to him. I am not of this world. I am in this world, but I am not of this world and I stand justified as a son of God. And what you're asking me to do, ma'am, I cannot do. What you want me to do, sir, I cannot do. I am a child of the king. I am justified with him. Praise God. And then, (laughs) so much for being dignified this morning. (laughs) And then, if that doesn't just take the cake, we have sanctification. Sanctification. The power that the Holy Spirit gives to us that we can live right. Isn't that cool? He has called us to righteous living and he has given us the Holy Spirit to help us, the word of God to help us. And every single day, I can experience his power and his help to have personal sanctification in my life. And on top of that, sometimes he just heaps it on as a boom experience and sanctifies us real good and takes some habits out instantaneously. Sometimes the sanctification works that way. But every day, every day, we can walk in the sanctification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day we can walk knowing that if I sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive me of my sin if I confess it. I can live in his sanctification. And speaking of sin and speaking of making a mistake, the last thing I want to end with, you know, regeneration, justification, sanctification, all those are theological terms that we need to understand and, and need to be living in. But I just put this last phrase in that kind of ties into all of it. This is theology by Greg. The grace in which we stand. The grace in which we stand. You see, the grace of God makes it possible for you and I to live victorious. You see, none of us can say that we have come to Christ and then lived a perfect life after that, can we? But Jesus died as an atonement for our sins. And he has extended grace to us. And it is the grace in which I stand. I have found that when I sin or mess up or fail or fall down, that he does not want to kick me out of the family. He wants to pick me back up, dust me back off, and cleanse me by his precious blood. And I have his grace and I can stand. How about you this morning? Are you standing in the grace of God? Are you living in the grace of God? You see, these old boys that stood, they didn't have all of that that we have going for us, but yet they did not compromise. So let me ask you another question this morning then. They didn't compromise. They did what was right. Why did they have to go through the fire? Why did they have to go through the fire? You would think, well, 
They were the only ones that stood up. They were the only ones that did the right thing. You would think that God would have come through for them. You would have think that God would have worked for them. And, and yet, we see that not only did they get thrown into the fire, the king got so angry, what did he do? He upped the temperature seven times hotter than what it was before. And the powerful men of his army took them and threw them into the fire and it was so hot that the men who threw them into the fire died. And you say, why did they go through the fire? And you and I could ask ourselves that same question sometimes when a trial comes in our life, couldn't we? We could say, well, but Lord, why am I going through this? If it's a financial issue, sometimes we might say, Lord, I don't understand. I'm faithful in my tithing. I'm faithful in my giving, but yet I have this obstacle. Ever been there? I've been there. Maybe it's a health issue, and you can say, well, Lord, I, I, I pray, and I love people, and, but why am I sick? And Lord, I would be in church today if I could be. Why am I sick? You know I would be in your house if I weren't sick. And we wonder why the trial, why the fire, why the trial. It has been said that we in life are either going into a trial or storm or we're in the storm or in the trial or we're coming out of it. And I have found that to be, unfortunately, <laughs> pretty accurate. Looking from my own personal testimony, but there's even actually been times that things are going so well for so long that I think, hmm, yeah, we're due, for, we're due for one. I don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, we're due for a trial. We're due for a challenge, and sure enough, you know, a trial will come. Can, can you guys relate to what I'm, I know you can, because it's life. It's life because we live in this fallen world. We live in this world where things bad happen and we live in a constant struggle with the devil. The devil's always trying to undermine us and trying to destroy us, come against us and trip us up. And so we say, why do we have to go through these trials? Why do we have to go through the fire? Why did these three boys have to get cast in the fire? Look at Daniel 3.25. They've already been cast in now to the fire. Look, he answered. I see four men loose. Now, can you imagine that? How many did they throw in? Three. So, like, can you imagine him looking over into the, to the fire and one, two, three, four. Well, they keep moving around. I can't count them. You ever do? I, I keep moving around. I can't get all of them. One, two, three. Yeah, it's just three. Ah, four. No, it's four. Four? How, how is it four? Can, can you just, I mean, just, it's a little bit comical to me in some ways because they threw three in there and, and wonder how long it took them to finally admit, oh, there are four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now that blows my mind. Again, this evil, wicked king, and this is Old Testament times, Yet he sees the fourth man in the fire and he's likened unto a son of God. Now, how in the world does that happen? You see, I believe it was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I believe there could be an argument made. We haven't gotten to the lion's den yet, but I think there could be an argument made for the angel that came and shut the lion's mouth for Daniel being an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a time in Joshua where the captain of the guard came, and I believe that was an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I believe right here in Old Testament times, right in front of an evil, wicked king, the Lord Jesus showed up right there that day in the midst of the fire with the three Hebrew boys so he could show you and I in 2021 that he is still in our fire, he is still walking in our flame, and he's still able to help every single one of us. You say, I'm in the trial, Pastor Greg. Well, I have good news for you, child of God. He's in the trial with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is in your fire. Why did they have to go through the fire, through the trial? They would have never fully known the protection that comes from being a child of God had they not gone through the fire. But can you imagine their trust in God after they came out of the trial? Have you ever gone through a trial and then when you came out, your faith was greater? You see, that's what God does in our trials. The enemy sends trials our way. God uses the trials to make us better and increase our faith and to show us that he is our protection. Why else did they have to go through the fire? They had to go through the fire because it revealed to them a sweetness, a significance, a closeness of his presence that they didn't know before. Now, I don't rejoice when I start going into a trial, do you? But what I do find is that for the trial, he gives more grace. Isn't there an old hymn about he giveth more grace? If I knew it, I would sing it right now. Usually I sing them if I don't know them anyway. But there's more grace in the trial than normal. And if you are walking through a trial right now, I, I guarantee you, if you just look to the Lord and you pray and you trust him in the trial, you're going to experience his, his precious presence greater than you ever have before. It's very biblical. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, you're preaching so passionately about this, I'm going to ask the Lord to send me a trial. <laughs> no, don't do that. They'll come on their own. <laughs> They'll come on their own. But if you're in one, if you're going into one, look at it this way and say, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to be here, but your presence is with me. Amen. And I'm going to get something out of this. I'm going to experience a closer walk with you. You've got my attention. This trial has gotten my attention. And I'm going to experience your presence at a whole new level. You see, that leads right into a proclamation. The trial shows his protection. The trial shows his presence. But the trial is also a proclamation. It is a proclamation to those around us that we serve a God who cannot fail. We serve a God who keeps us even in the trial. 
And others get blessed because of our trial. Others look at us and they say, well, I just thought they would fall apart. I just thought they would fall under. But somehow they have made it. Somehow they have persevered. It must be the strength and the power of God. And I know we don't like going through trials. But if, if I know that one thing that is coming out of this trial is it's bringing glory and honor to God. And it is showing a powerful testimony of his keeping power. Then that helps me go through the trial. Amen. And finally, the trial brings promotion. Sometimes you and I need to to be moved from here to here. Sometimes we need to be stretched and sometimes we need to be expanded. And here the term was used promoted because at the end, the king got them out of the furnace and promoted them and gave them bigger jobs than they had ever had and greater authority than they ever had. The word was promotion, promoted. But it hit me this week that sometimes God looks at us and he says, I wanna promote them. I want to grow them in the kingdom. I want to grow them in their walk with me. I want to promote them. And instead of sending a blessing, instead of endowing us with riches and instead of of just sending all these wonderful things, which he does many times, but sometimes he says, it's gonna take a trial to really let them experience my grace. It's gonna take a trial to really propel them from this point to this point, and I'm gonna allow the trial to come, but I'm gonna walk every step with them. And when they come out of the trial, they are going to have a richer and a deeper and a more significant walk with me. Anybody hearing what I'm preaching this morning? Thank God for the trial. Oh, that sounds silly, doesn't it? But thank God for the trial because the fourth man is walking in the midst of the trial. Thank God for the trial because the fourth man is working all things for our good. And when I come out of the trial, I'm coming out better. Did you hear me? I'm not coming out bitter. I'm coming out better. And I want to ask you this morning, if you're in your trial, please don't let the trial bring you into bitterness, but let the Holy Spirit work in you and let it bring you closer to God and come out better. Come out better. That is the promotion that God has for you in this trial that you're in right now. I believe it this morning. I believe it's for somebody this morning. So my final point. We've asked why, 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 why. Look at your neighbor and say why. Why, why, why. It's like a bunch of two-year-olds this morning, right? Is it about two years, three years old? And they, it's all the time. Why? Why? But why? Why? I don't know why. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> and that's right. And my last point is because he said so. <laughs> Right, right? We ask why, kids ask why, 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 why? But the conclusion of the matter is as children of God, our lives are in his hand and nothing passes our way that hasn't been filtered through the sovereign providential hand of God. And if God has allowed us to come to it, God will definitely bring us what? Through it. So we say, why, Lord? Because he said so. Because he said so. In 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. If you're in a trial, 
Don't think it's strange. We're going to all go through trials over and over again. But God is with us and God is working in our trial. Don't be surprised. Be secure. Don't be surprised. Be secure. Would you stand with me this morning? All over this building. Don't be surprised. Be secure. Don't be surprised. Be secure. Would you bow your head with me and let's just pray together today. Lord, I thank you for the honor and the privilege to preach your word this morning. I'm grateful that, Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I thank you. And Lord, I thank you for the promises of your word that are yes and amen. I thank you, Lord, for the promises that we see from this story in Daniel chapter 3 of three men who did not compromise, who did not waver, three men who stood their ground, and God, help us to stand our ground for you. Three men, Lord, who were thrown right into the big trial, thrown right into the fire, thrown into an impossible situation. But you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk with them in the flames of the fire. And I'm asking you this morning, every individual in this house today, every person that might watch online, I ask you, Lord, to remind them that there is a purpose behind their trial. There is a purpose behind their suffering. And also, you have sent your Holy Spirit to walk.